Comcast Business is here for you. Right now, internet starts as low as $34.95 per month for two years when you add one voice mobility line and connection pro with two-year agreement and sign up for paperless billing and automatic payments. Plus, ask about other offers to get a prepaid card worth up to $500. Call 1-800-501-6000 today. Requires enrollment and paperless billing and automatic payments through Comcast Business My Account or service charge increases by $10 per month. Offering 622.20. Restrictions applying not available in all areas. Limited to new Comcast Business Internet 25 megabits per second customers only. Early termination fee applies. Requires additional charge for one voice mobility line and connection pro. Equipment installation taxes and fees extra subject to change. everyone. Welcome to another episode of Maya, My Ambition, Your Ambition, the podcast that looks to embrace salient topics from a fresh and forward-thinking perspective. That's how I see myself, of course. I like to focus on pulling back that veil of self-doubt and self-sabotage that often plagues so many of us in life so that we can learn to identify together, not just you, but me also. This is a journey as far as I'm concerned, to help us to identify ambitions. Because the ambitions, you know, remember from episode one, goals, dreams, things of that nature. But more importantly, how to harness that motivation to yield the satisfaction and success we want in our everyday lives. So with that being said, get comfy, grab your beverage of choice, coffee, tea, depending on when you're listening to this, maybe beer or wine. Whatever the case may be, of course, grab a pencil, pen, pad of paper to jot down some ideas just in case I, I say something that really might make you think so you don't forget about it later. Okay, so let's jump into episode three, which means there's two prior that hopefully you've had a chance to check out. Now, before I jump into episode three, I do kind of want to recap episode two just a little bit because this episode is doofully called the impression of depression. And like all of my episodes, it's driven from a conversation or experiencing something or seeing something on social media that I feel is salient enough to address because it's current and people are expressing it. And this episode in episode three is, um, I had a Facebook friend who posted to his friends, not specifically to me, about he was having depression, feeling depression. Is anybody else and I love that people responded to him, but the level of, first of all, courage it took for him to pose the question and to show that vulnerability. But the fact that people who responded just didn't say, yeah, man, it'll be okay, hang in. They said, yes, I feel you. I'm there with you. I'm having these issues as well. They took ownership of their own emotions and didn't just take the easy road and try to be sympathetic. They were empathetic and really tied into him. And so that's where episode three came from is that experience watching that on Facebook. So episode two, let's recap it really quickly. So it's also was based on a person reaching out to me after episode one saying, can you really prepare for situations like COVID-19? And of course I gave an answer, which you should go back and listen to. But I felt it was a great question because it placed the conversation of episode one into play. So when you talk about situations like COVID-19, AKA the coronavirus, or any type of situation you might be struggling with, all the realms are impacted by the circumstance of the virus. Now, if you say, what realms are you talking about, Maya? That's an episode one relationship realms. Really quickly, personal, private, professional, and pervasive. Remember, Maya loves alliteration, so you'll get a lot of that um, throughout my, my episodes in different parts of the podcast. And with that, I said, you have to find the common thread 
of this situation because it's going to be the thing that we're going to dissect that you can process to help you when you think about preparing for future issues. It's often good to dissect something you've gone through to really look at how it impacted you in those relationship realms, as well as those factors we talked about, the emotional, the mental, the financial pieces, how those factors all impact your relationship realms. Relationships being relationships you have to yourself at personal, private relationships you have with family members and very close friends, professional dynamics, and then pervasive. Relationships that exist, they may not have the same weight or value of your private relationships or even some of your professional relationships, but they still have an interaction point for you that are important. So in jumping into those areas, we talked about chaos, challenge, and change. Those are the three things when you walk into a crisis situation, whether it be something like COVID-19, a loss of a family member, whatever the case may be, you're impacted in some way. It may create chaos in your life, throw everything in a tailspin. It may be challenging. Perhaps you're prepared, but not prepared enough to deal with the challenges you're being presented with. And then comes the, is it a permanent change? Is it a change in the moment? Is this your new norm? Things like that. It's all about perspective. And one of the things I talked about in episode two is being that I'm a mental health professional. I'm big on REBT, which is Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy. It's a type of therapy because it really focuses on the idea of taking situations as they are, focusing on what drives the emotion, but taking that more mental analytical approach and processing things opposed to allowing emotions to drive you. Mind you, we're human, so we do know that we're so driven by emotion. That's where things get difficult. And one of the things I said, and I didn't get too much pushback from it, but I might start to get more because as we get further into the stay-at-home orders, because we're like now hitting mid-May almost, um, people are starting to get antsy, cabin fever. They want their lives to go back to normal. Well, I'm going to tell you something. There might be a new normal for some people, depending on your job situation, um, if you were employed before, things of that nature. So I said, you know, what's interesting about situations specifically like COVID-19 is believe it or not, it's not personal. It just feels personal because it has a personal effect. COVID-19 did not pick out any individual person to make a victim. As you can see, it's as random as all get out. It hits every level of poverty, economic status, race. It's a local, national, and global phenomenon at this point. So it isn't like it pinpoints any one particular type of population to wreak havoc on. So with that being said, it isn't personal in the sense that you weren't just absolutely isolated to be affected by it, but you were. And that's the part of sorting out this that you have to put in perspective so that you don't get lost into all the information that's being thrown at you by the media. And you may have, right now you're seeing a lot of pushback within our country of people like, you're you're violating my rights. And again, it's making it so personal. Like I need to go get my nails done. You're making it so personal because this is a larger issue that we're still putting our hands around seriously to figure out what we're dealing with. But there's this need to really appease the public and to keep giving information, which I'm lukewarm on to a degree, but that's another story. So when you're dealing with chaos, challenge, and change, one of the things I talked about in episode two, this is a quick recap, is that we discuss creating a situational response inventory and assigning value to that. So what that means is with a situational response inventory is taking your existing situation or condition. So you're going to look at that, but at the same time, you have to, before you can really inventory something, you have to have two things that you're kind of comparing and contrasting. So I need you to take your, before COVID-19 happened, what was your existing situation, let's say, emotionally, mentally, and physically, and financially? Where were you at? 
Now you have to add in the new variable that was introduced into your situation, which was COVID-19, aka the coronavirus. And now where you are in those exact same domains. Those are the two things. Those are the things that you're inventorying. Once you then figure out where you are, then you assign value to them. So to give a clear example, I think everyone understands it, but to make it clear, the inventory will look like working versus not working, happy before versus depressed now, stress before versus more stress now, or not stress before and stress now, or living paycheck to paycheck or being financially stable versus now no income or reduction in income. That's the things you're going to be inventorying. So just kind of flesh it out and make it make more sense. Then you create a scale with obviously 10 being the worst that you've been impacted by it and one being the least amount. And this is where you start talking about the chaos, challenge, and change. Like, what does it really mean? And even in creating the inventory, here's where you would dig a little deeper in episode two. You start, you have to kind of start asking those hard questions. And I called them creating cause and effect relationship statements. This is the clear thing, because this is where you can start to kind of take away the emotional piece and be way more analytical about it and just being flat out honest. So how you would create cause and effect relationships would be, I'm not working at this time because, and whatever answer you assert should tell you something, COVID-19, or I wasn't working before. I'm struggling with financially at this time because I lost my job. I have a reduction in hours. I have less resources than before, even though I was not working. I am sick at this time because I am depressed at this time because I am frustrated at this time because, and then you can even drill down deeper to the things that you hear more people really kind of getting in their feelings about. I can't get my hair done because I can't get my nails done because I can't go sit at the bar and have a drink because I can't socialize with my family and friends the way I'm used to because. Once you put together these cause and effect statements, it should help to put things into clarity but it's the rationale piece that most people are going to want to actually deal with. They hate dealing with the honesty and the accountability of a situation. So once you put together those cause and effect relationships, this should be a part of helping you to be able to process and then accept what you cannot control. But you want to know what the biggest thing a lot of people are struggling right now? This is, we've hit this phase of not just being the chaos challenge and change, but it's the other three C's alliteration that people are really starting to get under their skin with. It's the not being able to have the convenience of the life they had before COVID-19. It's not being able to have the level of comfort that they had before COVID-19. Oh, and here's the big one. It's not being able to have the control of your life you had before COVID-19. Three C's and three C's, and they're weighing heavy on the scales of your existence when it's all said and done. And this is where if you want to be able to have a peace of mind and navigate this, it's about really taking the time and putting these things in perspective. Episode two dives into that more. So I would encourage you, if you didn't listen to the first episodes, and they're all under 40 minutes, to really start to listen to them and see what you can process. Because right now I'm watching a lot of people get sucked into a vacuum of anger, irritability, and despair, not partially because that's where they should be, but because it's permeating through our society. For as much social distancing as we're doing, there's also the togetherness that there to me is a spillover of negativity, opposed to being the supportive pieces that we need to help people understand we have to navigate this storm because in some cases it is life and death for some people and other people it's financial loss. For other people, believe it or not, and one of the things I talked about even in episode two is that everyone is not suffering from COVID-19. This has been opportunity for many people. 
They have gained ground that they've never had before financially in the midst of struggle for others. Other people have actually taken the time to reinvent themselves because they saw an opportunity that wasn't there before. See, these are people who are not falling into the cesspool of negativity and they're kind of falling into that survival. And I'm also going to find a way to thrive throughout this. So it's interesting. Check out episode two. With that being said, let's jump right into episode three, which I said is the impression of depression. And it came from obviously someone posting about being depressed and asking others if they were also struggling. I did a pre-podcast meeting on Facebook Live last week to kind of gauge where some of my followers were like, hey, where are you at? How are you feeling? And people did weigh in that they were feeling depressed. Some people felt overwhelmed. It was more financial that was driving it for other people. It was the isolation or separation from being around loved ones. For other people, it was just a pure disturbance of their routine. So it was a little mix of all the things that we've talked about. So with that being said, I also realize that a lot of people shy away from the conversation of depression because they don't like language and labels mean a lot in our society. don't like to be labeled. Other people love it. It's just interesting. It's all an individual amount of perspective. And with that being said, I realized that part of what I want to interject into this conversation about depression is semantics. You know, if the word depression bothers you, then label it how else you see fit. Um, historically, before the word depression was really coined, um, people would speak to it and, you know, call it the blues or sadness. It's interesting because the blues itself was an entire genre of music that was born of expressing difficult times, sadness. It was about singing about discontent and discord. I mean, think about those old blues songs that you heard if you ever really tied into the blues. You know, it was like, dun, 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 dun. I lost my man. Dun, 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 dun. I ain't got no job. Dun, 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 dun. I'm sitting home alone. Okay, enough of Maya singing. You get what I mean by this. But if you listen to older blues music, and even currently now, it's about life challenges. So you had a whole genre of music was born of being in its own way musically therapeutic. Color itself, the word blue, even though it can mean sadness, it also can mean tranquility based on the degree of the color. So very light colors of blues are tranquility and calming, whereas darker blues like royal blues are far more aggressive and strong and often tied more so to depression. And you get this with other colors. Red can mean passion and love as much as it can mean anger. You know, um, anxiety also can be represented by yellow, but also yellow can also be happy. It's the degrees of the color. So often when people are painting their homes or, or choosing colors for their businesses and they want to kind of spark an emotion, they think about color palettes. It's huge. So we talk about getting your feng shui and your energy together in your own personal space. I'd say look around your, your space you're living in. And what's the color? Are you around just all white walls with no color? Or do you have pops of color maybe in pillows and comforters and things like that? It's little things that make a difference. But I digress. So with that being said, it's about semantics. And some people hate the idea of having to say they're depressed. So another therapeutic approach that I love is kind of naming your depression, so to speak. So if you don't like the idea of, of saying you're depressed or sad or blue, um, and you want to be really interesting about it, name it. You know, name your depression. It's Nanette. <laughs> it's, it's Riley, whatever. And you speak to what Nanette has done to your life, how it's disrupted everything. It sounds crazy, but within a therapeutic approach for some people, they love it because it really fleshes it out and gives life to something that has actually taken over their life. Just different techniques that we use, obviously, in therapy. But it's interesting. So I don't want semantics to be the thing that keeps you from acknowledging where you're at emotionally, mentally, physically, and financially. 
I don't want a word to be the thing that stops you from being able to step into the light and to have the courage to say, I'm struggling with something, opposed to suffering in silence, which only will eventually turn into a greater struggle over time. And the end of when you finally say you're struggling with something often is far worse than if in the beginning you just had acknowledged it and reached out and asked for help. It takes courage to ask for help, even if it's not about mental health issues. It might be financial, different things. People just really struggle with asking people for help because they feel like it's a weakness. No, it's very much a strength when you can acknowledge where you are and seek out the resources that you need. All right, so let's talk about the impression of depression, aka the blues, sadness, nanette, or whatever you want to call it. What is it exactly? Depression is a mood disorder. That's kind of a general term that we, we speak to from a mental health standpoint. That's about um, a persistent feeling of sadness or a loss of interest or pleasure, which we call adedonia when you lose interest and things like that. So let's get clinical for a little bit here. So I don't want you to think that when you go in and you tell, you know, a provider that, you know, you're depressed, that we just say, oh, based on what you said, it sounds like you're depressed. No, 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 no. There is framework and guidance that we do have, and it's called the DSM-5 which is the Diagnostic diagnostic Statistic Manual, five being the addition that it's in, because it gets revisions, because things change and research provides with new data to update different types of diagnosis. Now, it's actually a publication that is created and managed by the American Psychological Society. We call it the APA. And they're a scientific and professional organization that represents often more often psychologists in the U.S., but also it educates the public about psychological, behavioral science, mental health, and also obviously is a fostering for education for pretty much anybody within the field. So it's kind of our standard. It's what we go to when someone comes in and expressed, you know, kind of what they're dealing with. We, we take an inventory of what they're saying. And then from there, a diagnosis is created based on the DSM. So just want you to know. So if we get even more clinical, what would the DSM say about what does depression look like? So it has criteria that's needed to be met in order for you to be given diagnosed with depression. Mind you, frequency is a key thing about this. So it needs to be at least two weeks of ongoing consistent symptoms that you're experiencing. That's key. So two solid weeks of this is just the way that I've been feeling. Now, one or two things need to be present as we look for five symptoms, but of the five, you either have to be in a depressed mood like 24-7 all the time or that loss of interest that we talked about. And then in addition to those two, we're then looking to see, um, is there a marked diminished interest um, in, you know, eating? So is there a loss of appetite as well as is there weight loss or weight gain? Um, Also, is there a slowing down of your thought or reduction of physical movement? Um, Sometimes people really just become literally not just a couch potato, but they just kind of just physically almost shut down. Um, Do you feel fatigue or low energy like all day? Like you just can't seem to find the energy barely to get out of bed. Do you feel worthlessness or seem to have excessive guilt about everything all the time. Um, do you struggle with concentration and focus? You know, can you, are you indecisive in decision-making, whereas in the past, you didn't struggle with those things? Um, and then the, a big piece of it is, do you have like recurring thoughts of death or um, we refer to it as suicidal ideations, you know, without any specific plan or, you know, attempt? So is it just like there's passive and there's aggressive? Is it just, oh, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm just tired of this life. I just want to go to sleep and not wake up versus the moving forward of a suicidal ideation that can lead to attempt with people can be that passive thought with, you know, I could just take sleeping pills and just never wake up. Now you're starting to formulate in your mind that you might do something. It doesn't mean you will, but that's an advanced thought press and you yourself should be alarmed when you start having thoughts of death. 
So those are the clinical criteria that need to exist in order for a diagnosis of depression to be put into place. Now, remember, there are many factors that can influence depression. Just know this. And this situation currently we're experiencing with COVID-19 is going to prompt is going to prompt depression or sadness or the blues or their nanette, so to speak. And that's what's important to understand what's driving your feelings. Um, this is where the analytical piece comes in again. I'm feeling this way because I'm sick of being in the house and I have not seen friends. I just miss that socialization piece, whatever the case may be. But remember, there are other things that can also prompt depression beyond this situation as we talk about being prepared. So abuse is a huge one. If you've been ever suggested to physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, mental abuse, financial abuse, those are vulnerabilities that can increase when situations become dire, like with COVID-19. It exacerbates maybe an underlying issue, so to speak. Certain medications, believe it or not, also can prompt depression and sometimes even have suicidal thoughts. You probably have, have seen that in some of the pharmaceutical commercials. You've seen there was symptomology that can come along with it. And you'll hear like depression, suicidal ideation. And people are like, whoa, why in God's time I want to take that if I might have suicidal thoughts? Well, that was based on the clinical research. Some people, not all people, had that as an outcome. So certain medications can do it. Conflicts, depression for someone you know that is already biologically vulnerable, they can develop depression even more from conflicts, like having stressful situations at work, um, at home, even with situations like COVID-19, which are every day, all the time, it's in your face, not going away. So this conflict, which is that, that chaos and challenge I'm talking about for some people, can spark depression. Death or loss, we know that obviously that when people lose loved ones, um, it affects us on levels that you know it's not hard... It's not easy to define. It's not hard to get over. And, and grieving is something that I often find that people don't do a good job at. They think, I'll just, you know, eventually it'll feel better. Well, no. Grieving is another reason that some people seek counseling or do group counseling so they can help to navigate what they're struggling with and that loss of a loved one. Um, we also know that obviously serious illness for yourself is another thing that can prompt depression. Genetics. We have found through research that they are, there are certain different types of psychological or mental health issues that have biological genetic influence. We are finding like connections with schizophrenia that we've known is there, bipolar disorder, depression. So genetically, if it's in your family, here's the thing. It doesn't mean you're gonna have it. It means you could. So knowing your family history, even beyond mental health, knowing your family history just from a health standpoint is important. Are you gonna be someone who's gonna be subjected to heart disease, um, hypertension, diabetes, depression? A lot of people don't actually know their family history well enough. And yet, when you go to the doctor, you, you ever notice, they'll ask, they'll ask you, is there a family history of um, cardiac arrest in your family? It looks like you had an issue with heart, with your heart. They start asking you health history. And a lot of people sit there because they have no idea, even though they have a loose idea, but they've never taken the time to really understand their family history so that they can better take care of themselves. Let that rain on you for a minute. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee while we have a little short thunderstorm of information. You heard what I just said. A lot of people don't capture the information that, though it might be family history, could be imperative to their very own health or that even the health of their children. That's one thing you can start working on right now when you talk about being able to manage chaos, challenge, and change is understanding the full picture of who you are. Health physical health, mental health, what did you learn financially growing up, all kinds of things impact you. Major events, this is a major event, job loss, health crisis, 
money, financial issues, divorce, marriage. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. These things can all prompt depression. And there's other personal issues too. And of course, substance abuse is known to be core morbid with depression. It's very interesting. When I said, someone said, you said marriage? Yeah. Because it's the expectation and the pressure of a new life role that you have. Remember those relationship realms I talked about? That personal, private, professional, and pervasive. For all the things, even with success, believe it or not, can come depression, and most people don't realize that. So let's talk about what you possibly might be experiencing, which means we're going to revisit some of those, those symptoms again. But let's really quickly talk about the difference between signs and symptoms, because they're very interchangeable words, but I want you to know there is a distinct difference between the two. Signs are what practitioners like doctors, psychiatrists, therapists can see. Symptoms are what you or a patient would experience. So while signs are physical manifestations of, let's say, an injury, an illness, or disease, symptoms can be described about what you would be experiencing with that specific injury, illness, or disease. Like I said, some of them can be very interchangeable. So the thing about depression that's, e that's interesting is it could happen just once in your lifetime. It could be just a situation that prompted you to fall into that level of sadness, having the blues, or beginning to have this uncomfortable you know, existence with Nanette, so to speak. Um, and some other people, it can be reoccurring over time. They can have episodes of depression. So there is no specific pattern to this. Just know there's also clinical depression as well as what I call situational depression. Like right now, for someone who's never had a history of depression and nor is there no family history, they may be feeling depressed right now because of their current situation. Whereas for other people, there's a chemical imbalance that prompts them to frequently have issues with depression. So these are all things that have to be navigated by you and your provider. So through this time of difficulty, have you been experiencing sadness? Have you felt tearful or empty, hopeless? Do you feel angry? Do you, have, do you feel more irritable? You're frustrated over even the smallest things can just flip your switch. You just are like, are you kidding me? Like just your level of your temperament is different than you've known yourself to be. Key thing about that personal relationship factor, if you're not acquainted with yourself on a real personal level, chances of you being good about some other things when you're in, 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 you know, in, in times of crisis might be more difficult for you because you haven't drilled down deep to get to know yourself. This is part of what this podcast is about, is pulling back that veil of self-doubt and self-sabotage and getting to know you. Because once you know you, you can start to navigate these other things, understanding what you want and what you need to achieve happiness. Have you taken a loss of interest, you know, in things you once enjoyed, um, normal activities, you know, such as hobbies, you know, sports, were you a person that was always out maybe doing gardening and now you're just like, oh, even though I could garden to like the cows come home, just not interested. Sports are different because obviously it's limited what you can do. You're probably like most people and you're probably like absolutely obsessed with the last dance because <laughs> the story about Bulls and Michael Jordan, because it's available. Um, sex. A lot of people just dropped interest. You think being shut up in a house with somebody nonstop would be more, but in some cases it's less. And I'll be honest, there's been a spark in a lot of domestic issues with COVID-19 going on right now. Just the time that people were spending with each other has increased <laughs> exponentially and either people have changed. Maybe there were some things about that person you didn't like to begin with, but now it's like you're around it all the time. So we're seeing a lot more domestic issues. We'll see what the outcomes are with, with this when things are said and done. Other things that you should be paying attention to, do you find you're tired, have a lack of energy, even to do small tasks? Like I said, if you found that just getting off out of bed is hard for you or getting off the couch is, is an issue for you and that wasn't how you were before, 
that's something you have to kind of earmark and say, I need to pay attention to this. Have you had a reduction in appetite or have you been eating more? <laughs> you know, let's be honest, it's probably easier to eat more right now because you're in the house and the fridge is there and it's available. So, you know, you may have had an increase in food intake opposed to a reduction in it. Are you more anxious, agitated, or feeling restless? You know, do you feel like you're slow thinking? Is it like your concentration or focus isn't there? Are you starting to feel worthless? Like, I'm not working. I, I should have done better with my money. Here comes guilt. Um, you know, I just should have done better at picking a different job. I didn't prepare myself properly. These things may all be true, but are you really ruminating on it more than you should? Um, trouble thinking or concentrating. We talked about that. You know, do you have frequent or recurrent thoughts of death? Like, I'd rather be dead than keep living like this. But I mean, like, you're really thinking about it. Like, you're really exploring the idea that not being here and alive in this current situation would be, would be the best option would just to be dead, you know? And here's one big one that frequently happens with people that they don't notice. Do you keep having unexplained physical problems? Like, are you having back pain that you didn't have before? Now, not, not like back pain, like you've increased your workout and so your back and your knees are like, ah, no. I mean, like just, you feel achy all over and don't know why headaches. Um, these are signs of stress and depression that a lot of people don't tend to pay attention to because to be honest, they can also be correlated with other types of illnesses. So for many people with depression, those symptoms usually become more severe. It starts with the simple things like headaches and it may evolve into some of the other things that I just talked about. But the key thing is noticing how you are daily and the degree that you're being impacted by these things. Something else to note about depression that's interesting is it affects people in different ways. And we're going to talk specifically about age demographics. So if you happen to have in your care, you know, children or teenagers, how they express or what symptoms are more frequent with that group are different than with adults. For instance, in younger children, um, symptoms of depression may include sadness and irritability. They might get really clingy with you. Um, they worry a lot more. They complain about having stomach aches and headaches. Mommy, I just don't feel good. Daddy, I just don't feel good. Um, and if you were in school, they'd be like refusing to go to school. And often they struggle with maintaining healthy weights. These are like signs that something are going on with your kids, even if you weren't in COVID-19. So this is research that says even before COVID, these are things with younger children, and adolescents that we would see in teens specifically. This is the key thing. And I see this so frequent when I have teens that come into the emergency department that there's that sadness, there's a strong amount of irritability. They, the feelings of negatively and worthlessness from a teen often is very, very aggressive, especially when they're deep into depression. You often will see anger, poor performance or poor attendance at school. And they often feel very misunderstood and they're extremely sensitive, like everything they do is wrong. And this is when kids often will get into recreational drugs or alcohol. And you also might notice a difference in their sleep and appetite. These are all things to flag. Now, does it mean your kid's depressed? No, not necessarily. But it does mean that something might be going on that could lead to depression if not dealt with properly. Um, Self-harm is also very large within adolescent populations. And they tend to want to avoid people and they isolate a lot. So if your kid just was a kid who would come home and sit down and watch TV with everybody or whatever, but now you notice they're coming home and they're going right to their room and they just want to be in their room on their Xbox or just on their phone, like they just totally want to shut everybody out, that's a sign there's something going on. Does it mean it's huge at the moment? No, but over time, it can progress into something more. Now, depression, older adults, we're talking about grandparents, our parents, which for some of us are more advanced in age at this point, depending upon where my listing audience is. There's quite a few things that older adults actually show that we tend to not pay attention to because we assume, oh, it does come, we're getting old, so to speak. 
So when you when you see like memory difficulty or personality changes, so if you don't have an adult or an older parent that is diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's, then start questioning it because it could be the beginning of that disease, but it also could be the fact that they're suffering from depression. Now, there can be memory loss that happens over time. It comes with old age, but we all have a certain amount of plasticity to us that we can we can learn new things and remember things. It may take us longer, but it exists even as we mature and get older. So if you see an older person who seems like specifically the personality change, like someone went from loving, kind, and inspirational to like the negative Nancy in the group, question why that is. Physical aches and pains, again, with old, we assume, oh yeah, of course, but if it seems like more than normal, question why. Sometimes it's kind of, I wanna seek attention so I keep having this ailment because someone comes to talk to me when I have this ailment. Of course, fatigue, loss of appetite, sleep problems, um, that can all exist for, you know, older adults as well. Um, the social isolation piece as well, just wanting to stay home, not wanting to see anyone, whereas that wasn't there, how they were before. Note that. When they start having that, I'm just tired of being here now. I just want to die. Why are you saying that? What part of your life has changed so drastically that you feel that your life no longer matters or can't have a richness to it? Another thing that's interesting is that with men and women, Depression can be exhibited very differently. Now, when I say this, here's what I don't want you to think, that this is exclusively the same for every single person because it's not. These are just things that some research has noted with symptoms of depression with men and women, how they manifest themselves. And you often, if you're the opposite gender, may notice this. So, for instance, with men, I know I'm waiting for this. I know men are going to be like, this is not true. Women are going to be like, oh, God, this is like spot on. Men tend to blame others for situations when they are in severe depression because taking accountability is something went wrong that they should have done. It's not something that they're going to be able to embrace. You often see more anger and paranoia from men when they have depression. They will create conflict to totally deflect away what's going on from a situation away from them. A restlessness or agitation is there. Compulsiveness. Often issues with sleep, insomnia being controlling, trying to take control of the situation to, to try to make sense of it, to make it work so they don't struggle so much with the issue. Shame, being embarrassed that they're, they're suffering from depression, that feeling of failure, self-medicating on drugs or alcohol, and often overuse of internet, TV, and email just to direct themselves away from having to have a lot of contact with people. On the flip side, women tend to self-blame. This is my fault. Everything is my fault. I did this. I should have not done that. You know, I'm the one person that's, you know, it's, it's, it's totally incumbent upon me to make this better. Sadness, apathy, and worthlessness. You know, not, I'm, not, I'm not good enough for this person. I'm, I'm worthless. Feeling anxious or frightened. Wanting to withdraw because they're afraid of conflict. Because often women that suffer from severe depression want to avoid conflict. Often there's nervousness, procrastination, oversleeping. Difficulty maintaining boundaries, always going too far with something. Guilt, problems with success, opposed to being able to embrace what they've done well at, they're trying to make an excuse to kind of downplay it because they like to assume low status because if you have low status, it creates less conflict for you. Often women will self-medicate through food. Doesn't mean they still won't use alcohol and drugs, but food issues are usually big with women and they tend to withdraw. So those are some symptoms from a gender perspective. Remember, depression is not one size fits all. So though I may say these may be things that women may do or men may do, it doesn't mean that it's going to apply to every single person where this happens. So what's next? You feel like you've got some of this stuff going on. So you're saying to yourself, I feel depressed. Maybe I should talk to somebody. There's a couple of ways you can do this. You can choose to reach out to your primary physician because most doctors are actually 
train to be able to initially help with depression, not to mention because it's become a more frequent mental health phenomenon, most doctors are prepared to screen for it. So if you go to the doctor and you want to talk about this, they're going to probably have you do a questionnaire because I think it's called a pH 16 or 14 um, that helps them to understand where you're at in your depression. A couple things can come from that. They may one, recommend that you see someone because they do feel like you're suffering depression. They can choose to prescribe you an antidepressant if they think that's appropriate. Um, Also, though, depending upon how you answered on the questionnaire, if they think somehow you might be in imminent danger, they may want you to seek help immediately, which means sending you to an emergency department. And I get people like that. And they're like, I don't understand why I'm here. I just, I went for help. But something that you answered was an alarm for the doctor. And they'd rather err on the side of caution. They'd rather be wrong in sending you to the emergency department to have a more elaborate evaluation by a mental health professional than maybe saying, well, take this and let's see what happens. There's, there's some accountability there, and that's the smart thing to do. They may also say, I think, you know, you should go see a mental health professional, and they may have a referral specifically to give to you because they may now have a partnership with a therapist, counselor, or even a psychiatrist that they've partnered with to help their patients that come and see them. That's, that's one route. Let's just say you're the kind of person, you're proactive. Um, you may reach out to your insurance and say, um, go online. Often if you go online to your provider, all this will be on your insurance card, by the way, um, an 800 number to call for customer service because they can also look in your area and give you numbers to providers that are a network for you. And or you can start by going to the website that's listed on your card and you put in what you're looking for and boom, it'll tell you what providers are in network in your area. And you call and make an appointment. If, if you feel that you're not in dire straits, at, but if you're in a point where you're like, I'm not good with this, I'm having thoughts of, that aren't me, then that's when you make the decision to go immediately to your emergency department to be seen by a mental health professional who can help you navigate this situation because you feel like you, yourself, a spouse or a child, they need help right now. This is not something that can wait. It's advanced too far beyond kind of using an outpatient approach for what is now more of an inpatient need, so to speak, with mental health. So those are your options. Something else that exists for many people and they don't know are EAP programs through your job, which are employee assistance programs where your job has put together resources that can cover mental health, um, physical health, and even financial um, things to help you navigate. And often to get that information, they tend to advertise it, but people don't pay attention. So you may have to reach out to your human resource provider and just say, do we have an EAP program? You don't have to disclose why. Because they all serve not just mental health purposes, but it's meant to be a resource to help employees to be better in their lives outside of work, which means you tend to be better when you're at work. So you can just say, do we have an EAP program? And then they can proceed to tell you if they do or don't and give you that information. And what EAP do is actually they can either refer you to a provider and or often you can do sometimes five to ten phone sessions with a therapist, a financial counselor, things like that. And then from there, if they feel that what's happening isn't able to be resolved in that particular format or platform, then that's when they'll make a better recommendation for you. So it allows you kind of still to be at the comfort of your own home and to still seek help without taking it a step further. So an EAP program, a lot of jobs do have this. So reach out to your human resource department to see if that's something that they can provide you with. All right, everybody. This is episode three of Maya, My Ambition, Your Ambition. This was called The Impression of Depression. Hopefully you took something from this. I thank you for listening. I really appreciate the support and hopefully you get something from it, from this episode. As I said, the whole purpose of this podcast is to help you to identify your ambition and then help you harness that motivation to help you acquire the success and satisfaction you seek in your life. Remember, episodes can be found 
at the Apple or Google Play podcast platforms, as well as you can listen via my webpage, my website, www.mayaakai, that's M-A-Y-A-A-K-A-I.wordpress.com. All right, everyone, until next time, remember, your present becomes your past and your future is no more. So make the most of every day. Times are challenging right now around the country, but True Green knows that the grass will get greener. You may be spending more time enjoying your lawn this season than ever before. And True Green can help make your lawn happy, healthy, and weed-free. Go to TrueGreen.com to receive 50% off your spring application. At True Green, we'll take care of your lawn. You take care of you. All right, buddy, I gotta go now, but I'll put on your favorite show. See you tonight. Welcome back to Cooking with Chef Antonio. <laughs> Gee, well, I would like to know how this risotto will turn out, but I'll probably just go to sleep in your bed and sniff your sheets, and then figure out what that squirrel is planning. Arr, squirrels. Your dog doesn't care if the TV is on? With energy-saving tips and programs from Georgia Power, you can save money and make your home more efficient. Learn more at georgiapower.com efficiency.